Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 79 of the Essendon People podcast, our round three review of the game against the Saints, and our round four preview for the game against the Giants. So, Brendan, I've got to be honest with you, I didn't watch any of the game. I was at the Formula One last weekend and then went out for dinner and didn't watch the game, saw some scores, and then quite frankly, when realised we'd lost, it kind of didn't feel like a loss, so I decided not to go back and watch it or watch any highlights, so... Uh, apologies in advance, but I'm going to be leaning on you pretty heavily in this episode. <laughs> that, that's fine. I, I did I did watch the game, and uh, after the first 10 minutes, I thought to myself, geez, why aren't I FDF1? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it was um, St Kilda 14.892 to Essendon 11.874, margin of 18 points. Uh, I guess... We'll jump into the quarter by quarter, and that kind of probably tells the story from what I'm seeing here. So St Kilda, five goals, 4-34. to Essendon, one goal, 1-7 in the first quarter. So we're down by 27 points. Uh, and I believe that St Kilda had kicked all of that five goals, 4-34, before we'd even scored. So I think their lead at a point in time during the first quarter was 34 points. And um, I am led to believe as well that, that was probably 10 to 15 minutes into the into the game. So it must have been a pretty pretty bleak start. Yeah, after that, that as that, it all happened in the first 10 minutes. And really, that's the difference in the game, especially when you see the final margin there. Um, that is out of the blocks. Two goals from 50-metre penalties. Uh, both of those were inside 50 shots on goals anyway, so probably 50-50 chance. But it, t- it takes you from 50-50 to 100% because you're kicking on the goal line. And in those two instances, we didn't even have a a player on the mark on the goal line either. So um, I think one one against, I think, Redmond, and Red, might have been both against Redmond, but one was certainly, I thought, was pretty stiff. Uh, and, but, you know, swings and roundabouts, that, they, that'll they come and get you another time there. But, yeah, um, really disappointing start to that quarter. And we're a bit lucky considering they kicked four behinds. Could have easily have... Kicked nine goals on us there. So, but after that initial period, we did settle it for you know five minute stretch, and then come to the end of that quarter, kind of started getting on the scoreboard a bit ourselves. But by that stage, it was it was too late. Yeah. So that second quarter there, we managed to hold them to the three scoring shots. They kicked two goals, one. We kicked three goals, four. So we had the seven scoring shots, but conversion let us down. Uh, went in at half time trailing by 18 points, which it sounds like all things considered probably was a, a bit of a win, uh, I guess, um, all, yeah, considering the way that the game had opened up in that first 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So that second quarter, we definitely started playing some better football, started getting the midfield work in particular on our terms, and then kind of at half time there, we were where we should have been at the start of the game. You know, heads in the game, I was chatting to my old man about it and it was like 
they just didn't turn up. They just weren't switched on and then just got jumped. And then the switch came, but it came half an hour too late. <laughs> and then going into the third quarter, uh, it was pretty miserable third quarter, to be honest. Neither side really did much with it. They kicked two goals, two fourteen. We kicked two goals, one thirteen. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a nothing quarter. Uh, we, I think, we had probably the better of that quarter, but just couldn't move the ball. I think it was a horrible game to watch, Mark. It was the conditions. It was a bit wet and slippery, but by God, we'll talk about this later in the Uglies. We are just a terrible wet weather side. <laughs> like secure are probably not much better. I don't know their history, but which is we were absolutely shit ass. And then the last quarter there on paper looks pretty even. Uh we won the quarter by a point, kicking five goals two thirty-two to their five one thirty-one. But um from what I was watching, I, I was keeping tabs on it, it's in on my phone and uh I did see that we we leveled it. We we managed to so we we did all the work at the start of the quarter by the looks of it got it to level, never actually hit the front. And then next minute I checked my phone, we're down by five goals again. Uh, and then there was only, you know, five or six minutes left or something. And I was like, okay, this is over and it's going to be a pretty pretty ugly end to the game. And then when I looked at the final margin, it was 18 points, which kind of surprised me. So we must have kicked a couple of really late goals to maybe make the margin seem a bit better than perhaps what it actually was. So it, it looks like it was an exciting start to the last quarter and then a really disappointing end. Oh, certainly the start to the last quarter. We had, had all the momentum. We'll talk about it in the uh, Jai Corwell really for a five-minute patch was the best player on the ground and just pretty much said, I'm grabbing the boys and taking you with me. He was fantastic. Uh, really stood out. and um, But it was one of those games where I think we always had the feeling we soon had, you know, same they fight to get back and there's all their energy is in the fight back. Then once you get even or thing, you don't have any energy to then push away. And that's kind of what it seemed like. We we had worked so hard. Then they had just got on. We dropped their heads. They lifted. We couldn't match the lift because we'd already been up for so long. They kicked five goals pretty quickly, right, and fairly easily. And then we just got a couple of late ones to kind of make the margin look a bit better there. But, yeah, really um, – a disappointing night. Yeah, so moving into the stats there, uh, I obviously was pretty reliant on stats this week, uh, having not watched any footage. So um, the contested ball there seemed pretty even. Contested possessions, 139 to them, 136 to us. Uh, uncontested, a little bit our way. Disposal efficiency, uh, 75% on our side, which normally the cleaner you are, the, the better it goes for you, but not the case here. Um, we sort of had more marks. They had more marks inside 50. Clearances, we looked like we were well on top, 43 to 29. Sending clearances up by a couple as well. And stoppage clearances, 28 to their 16. Uh, more tackles uh, as well by eight tackles. Um, tackles inside 50, they, they sort of done us there. So it looks like their forward pressure was better than ours. Inside 50 is pretty even. Scoring shots pretty even. So with all of that said and those clearance numbers being well in our favour, You'd assume the scoreline would be quite different, but that's not the case. Yeah, this was a game with you like the stats are so even that sometimes the stats can lie. They were very efficient. I think that in that first quarter, they only entered the forward fifty nine times. They had nine inside fifties, and they scored from each time they went in. Right, 
when they had when the ball when they had a run of a chain, you know how it's over the top against this like it's been last year. It was just clean one two one two. So they when they scored their goals, they didn't have to work for it, right? It just happened. They burst out of a stoppage and or they transitioned the ball from back fifty to forward fifty with a lot of ease. But we really had to grind to get the ball forward, and then when the ball was in in the forward line, had to grind to get a shot on goal. And the shots that we had were wide or under pressure or in a contested situation where St Kilda, a lot of the ball they got was easy. Like the, the goals they kicked were easy. You know, they were streaming in the goal or took an uncontested mark or, you know, we would turn it over in a dangerous spot. Whereas when they turned it over, it wasn't in a dangerous spot. So, you know, it's the difference between turning it over and, you know, and your forward line, that's fine because you've got the, the opposition has got to work the whole ground to get it up to theirs. Whereas with us, we'll turn it over in, in our back line when they, they just take a shot on goal and there's the goal. So it was, um, yeah, just one of those days. I'll kick us off with a good, bad and ugly here. So in the good category, um, we didn't get fully blown away like we might have last year, despite that start. So in other games, we might have lost that game by 10 plus goals. And we managed to work back into the game. I, I know we worked back in and then got probably a little mini blowout again. But, um, you know, if we're looking for some positives comparing to, I guess, the most recent samples from last year, maybe it wasn't as bad as what it might have been 12 months or more ago. Yeah, and just some of the players there, I think uh, I mentioned earlier, Jai Corwell, I thought he had a really great game. He's very clean below his knees. He's kind of almost a one-touch player below his knees. Um, had that five or ten-minute burst where he kicked those two goals and was really – it was a game – that lacked star power. Neither side had a, a side that dominated. Some guys had uh, good performances, and we'll talk about that later, particularly the St Kilda small forwards had good performances and, and maybe a, a Mason Wood on a wing there. But that, there wasn't like, wow, this is exciting. It wasn't like a, a Jake Stringer style, you know, five-minute cameo. And that's kind of what Corwell had there. He had a, a five minutes where he was just white hot and he was untouchable and, it was like this game rests on Caldwell dragging us over the line or if St Kilda stop Caldwell's influence. Yeah, you got um, you got Nick Martin mentioned here as well and that um, he had the 28 disposals, one mark, one goal, two behind. So uh, you've got a note here that if he tidies up the goal kicking, that's sort of the jump to the next level. So he, he's been exciting to watch this year and I agree, um, considering... You know, that he came in last year off three weeks before the, the season and it was into his second year there. He's uh he's made good progression, which is which is nice to see. Moving on to the defenders, one that really stood out to me when I looked through the through the stats was um, Jake Kelly. So he had twenty nine disposals and uh, eleven marks, five rebound fifties and sixteen intercepts and uh, I started to see a bit of commentary that he had a, a really strong game and that's probably a bit out of the out of the box for him. I don't think I've seen big disposal numbers from Jake in his time at the club over the last twelve months, and um, he was obviously brought in as kind of that lockdown defender. So was he playing that sort of small to medium defender role, or was he playing a different role to rack up that many possessions? Um, it was he racked up a lot of possessions as did Ridley, Massimo, McGrath, because the ball was down there so much, <laughs> right? So he stood out early in that he was one of our good players in that rough period, right? And he was actually beating his man, winning the ball, like you said, 16 intercepts. He actually stood out in a period where 
we were getting obviously beaten through the midfield. Uh, so that's kind of why everyone was talking up his game. I think uh, it was more circumstance in that the ball was in his area a lot as opposed to him playing a different role or being an, an attacking player there. And, you know, Ridley, 21 disposals, 14 marks, nine intercepts. You know, Massimo, 27 touches, five intercepts, eight marks. You can see the backline players were getting a lot of the ball. I thought Ridley's game was it was getting back to his best, especially the marking. I think he had more of a four-quarter performance than, say, like a Kelly, who had Kelly was really dominant early. Uh, and Massimo uh, got a lot of touches there, and I thought used the ball um, well at times. Sometimes tried to bite off a bit more than he could chew, but young player, he's going to come into that. But I think the next step for Mass is that he needs to start working on his defensive side of his game because we'll kind of we'll transition into the uglies there, at uh, the bads, sorry. Jack Higgins and Dan Butler, two small to medium forwards. They both kick four goals each. And you would think with Massimo, McGrath, Kelly, those lockdown players, even Mason Redmond, um, you wouldn't think the opposition smalls or mediums would be that much of a trouble for us. But they again, they, they cut us up. So uh, they would, might, might just with St Kilda were just cleaner on the night. Even though the stats say we had more uh, increased disposal efficiency, um, maybe that's we handballed more and they kicked more and that's kind of how it works out. But they definitely were more efficient with their ball use. Yeah, so to continue going through the bad category here, what stood out to me was um, the slow start. So, uh, you know, saying that that first 10 minutes we were already 34 points down, that's three weeks in a row now. We didn't start particularly well against Hawthorne. I think we were quickly three goals down against Hawthorne, who were, you know, quickly standing out as being probably the worst team in the comp this year. Then we played Gold Coast, and I think same thing. We were at least three goals down on our home deck uh, against the Gold Coast there in perfect conditions at Marvel. And then this week to be, you know, nearly six goals down 10 minutes into the game, that's that's a really worrying sign because as much as St Kilda's, you know, 3-0, I, I don't think St Kilda are going to be world beaters this year. I think they're probably just having, having a bit of a purple patch at the start of the year and that'll probably fade. But, um, yeah, to have a, sort of a hat-trick of really slow starts now is, is a bit alarming for me. Yes, yes, and... What's also alarming is a strong word, but it just goes to general trends that we've seen over the years. It's kind of like coaches change, players change, but trends seemingly stay the same. And that's the going in with underdone players. Like Stringer, he was he was underdone. Like he, he looked like a bloke that was in need of a run. Now, you could argue that he could have had that run in the VFL. He got some match fitness. You could also argue hey, this was a game we could potentially win and we need all the match winners we can. And getting, you know, Stringer's not the first bloke to be played in the seniors when he's not, you know, 100% fit. And then also for the second time this year, Harry Jones was subbed out and we know the issues he's had with his ankle over the journey. Just on on that, taking in underdone players and probably more so in particular Jake Stringer, given where the club's at and that we're kind of, you know, pretty early on in the in call it a rebuild or, or you know whatever developing, um, the bringing in Stringer and him clearly being not fit. Obviously, yeah, as you said, if you've got a game winner, sometimes you bring him in because you know that they'll just get the job done. But given where we're at as a team and as a group, do you think that that sends the wrong message um, and that maybe it's not good for the culture that we're trying to create? That 
you know, some people get a free pass and, and can come in and, you know, there's rules for some and rules for others. Like, do you think it's maybe sending the wrong image a little bit that you don't have to earn your spot if you've got a certain name or history or some runs on the board? I think this question gets looked at differently through the lens that it's Jake Stringer. Right. I think I think if you said this was Zach Merritt, we'd be looking at this completely differently. I think Jake gets a very bad rap, and I think some of it's maybe justified. Some of it's, I'll say, a lot of it is not. Right. Um, I think you need to play match winners, and who else is there to come in? Like, who who could have possibly have played if Stringer didn't come in? Uh, and I guess the question is, it kind of links to another issue in the bads we've got here is playing blokes out of position. Stringer comes in, I think that saw a shift Langford back. And let's talk Langford played back during the preseason. He was trained to play as a defender. So maybe they wanted Langford back. But how many times have we had a guy kick five goals in a game in the past 10 years? Fairly few, right? So the moment we get one, and how many years have we talking about What's Langford's best spot? He looks a natural half forward to me, plays half forward, kicks five goals, and then he shifted back. So the question that has to go to the coaching group is that did they want did they want to move Langford back cause Stringer coming in or does Stringer coming in cause Langford to go back? Because can I'll ask the question to you, Mark. Can you play when everyone's at full fitness, right, Wiedemann, String and Langford and say a Jones in the same forward line. I don't think you can. I think it's too tall, too immobile, and there's not enough variety. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think the hard part. I saw the same thing. I I immediately went to the stats and saw whether or not Langford had got himself into the lead of the Coleman uh, based off his efforts last week, and uh, I was sad to see that he that he had. And I, I think he did kick a goal. I think he did get moved forward late, didn't he? And uh, and did hit hit the scoreboard, but um, yeah, I was, I was a bit dumbfounded to see that he'd gone to half back again when seemingly we had the you know the backline positions covered. Uh, obviously, like you said, maybe that was just as a result of Stringer coming into the side and balance up forward. But it just sort of baffles me a little bit why you'd have a guy who's kicked five goals not play forward the following week. It just seems a bit. A bit strange, but anyway, uh, I guess we'll move on from that. And I guess in that you mentioned Perkins as well. We just we're not seeing Perkins get centre bounce attendances like we were at the end of last year. And you could probably throw Caldwell into that because, as you said, he was sort of white hot at half forward there. And that's not his natural position. He's pretty hard nosed ball winner in the middle. And um, starting to hear some commentary, you know, on, on some of these. Um, shows and podcasts and things that he's only attended, you know, you can probably count them on two hands and that's enough to, to show how many set of bounces he's attended this year in three rounds. So um, that's not, not a great sign either for, for mine. I agree. I think we need to see more of Perkins and more of Caldwell and potentially Ben Hobbs in the midfield there. Um, the argument that will go against you is that Perko's kicked two goals one. <laughs> <laughs> Caldwell's kicked two goals. <laughs> so they are, we are getting goals out of them at half forward. So they're having good enough games at half forward, and that's maybe the role that we need them in the side to be. But I always like to think where the bloke's best position, 
Where are they going to be most dangerous? And where does the opposition coach not want to see them? And I would think with Perko and Corwell, if you were an opposition coach, so if you were Ross Lyon on the weekend, you'd be more comfortable seeing him play majority of games at half forward than them getting centre bounce attendances. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We all think Perko, you know, is one of the few players on the list that's got potential to be a real superstar of the comp, right? He's just got that X factor that possesses something about him where he could be the star of the side. He could be our best player in the next three, five, seven years, right? But I don't see him being that best player star of the comp at half forward. That comes when he moves into the guts as a permanent midfielder, and that's when he blossoms. Now, I could be, I could be wrong, but... I think he's a midfielder. My concern as well with Perkins is, I'll phrase it to you this way, Brendan, you, you, you rate yourself as an up-and-coming cook and chef and you get a job at a restaurant and they put you on dish duty and they leave you there for a couple of years and then the rival restaurant up the road sees you going to your car and says, hey, we've got a spot for you cooking. We know that that's what you want to do long-term. You're going to consider it. So I think we have to motivate and give something to someone like Perkins to show that there's trust in him playing in the midfield and that that's what he's going to do at the club so that he doesn't, you know, get disgruntled and, um, you know, lose his confidence for us and, and stuff like that and, and then start entertaining offers uh, from elsewhere because I'm sure that there's going to be suitors lining up. He's shown plenty and there's going to be clubs, you know, getting in his ear and talking to his manager. And every club, I would say, all 17 clubs would be interested in Archie Perkins and they'd all be interested in as a midfielder. Now, that's not to say with someone who has flexibility and versatility, he doesn't play at half forward at times, but then moves onto the ball, right? But I think his best position is as a midfielder or in a guy that kind of floats and he does what he what he needs to, right? Same, you know, yeah, I know. I've talked to you. I've got a I've got a big name and a good analogy I want to make, but I don't want to put the pressure on the young man. Uh, so I think we all kind of lots of people know the player that potentially this analogy could be with, but I think that's unfair on uh, pretty much any player to be compared to a certain former Essendon Premiership winning captain. Well, <laughs> uh, there's some big question marks on who that might be. Um, all right, let's move on to the ugly. So. Uh, this is a big bugbear of ours, making spuds into superstars for a week. And that was Mason Wood. We did it in the practice match and we did it again. So he had 27 disposals, 11 marks, six inside 50s and a goal. And this is going to sound horrible because it probably is. But with all due respect, that man's a human potato. He shouldn't be playing that well against us. And I'm sure that he won't play that well next week. And he's had a bit of a good start to the year, but... If you're going to be a good competitive club, you need to shut down guys like this who, you know, are basically sort of just floating through and staying on lists and, and getting games. So um, need to yeah, get on top of these guys who uh, who managed to make a name for themselves against us and bob up and then go back to doing nothing for several weeks after that. I want to stress to, to Mason and his family, and they're no doubt watching or listening, um, nothing against him personally, but... The Essendon Football Club has a long and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say illustrious history right, of making players that are average look like stars, right? And 
everyone listening to the SNM People podcast there is probably an SNM person and they know how many times we made bog average players look fantastic. They have two good games a year and they're against us. And it's just a really bad habit that we've got to get out of. Uh, you mentioned playing in the wet, so um, it's just not – and that wasn't super wet, really. On uh, It obviously had rained a bit but over the Friday and the Saturday, but, and it was played at the G. But um, from my understanding, the conditions, it wasn't like it was torrential or anything like that. But basically our issue here and the reason it's in the bad category is that any sign of moisture, and we seem to lose all ability to be able to play football. Yeah, I think it's um... – I think it's been a trend. It's funny, like how poor sides play poor in the conditions, and we've been a poor side for a long time. So I think maybe lots of theories that we play that we play at Marvel too much under the roof. We train inside side of the hangar too much, but I think it's just because we're a poor side or have been a poor side, and it's it's a kind of a hard thing to break. So hopefully we can start getting better, and that's one of the things we can see change. All right, um, we'll move on to the Heath Hocking medal votes. So uh, my votes, this might be a little bit inaccurate because I obviously didn't watch the game, but here goes. I'll give five votes to Darcy Parrish, four votes to Dylan Shield, three votes to Jai Caldwell, two to Andy McGrath, and one to Massimo. I went five to Caldwell, four to Kelly, three to Ridley, two to Parrish, and one to Shield. Let's take a quick break, Brendan, and come back with the VFL results. All right, Brendan, we'll move on to the VFL. I'll probably, I'm obviously, I'm a bit frustrated after that opening segment. I was probably a bit disrespectful there to, uh, to Mason Wood. So I apologise to him for that, even if this somehow he was listening to this. But uh, I'm obviously pretty dirty that they beat us. And, uh, and it's not going to get any better because their reserve side beat our reserve side as well. So Sandringham, 19-12, 126 to Essendon. 14-5-89. So they rolled us fairly comfortably and it was, from all accounts on Sunday, pristine conditions for football as well. So uh, had nothing to do with the wet this time round. They beat us in the wet on Saturday and they beat us in the dry on Sunday. Yeah, the uh, down at Trevor Barker over there in, on Bayside there, it's normally quite windy with the water, uh, with the wind off the bay there, but it was... Uh, it's very still, and uh, that was one game I did, one of the VFL games I managed to watch, and that was, uh, yeah, pretty disappointing. Um, maybe a little bit of the opposite of the AFL game in that I thought the first quarter weren't too bad. Maybe probably had the better of the first uh, first quarter there, and then Sandringham kind of came hard there, and then after that they just dominated, really. Kind of after half time, got into the game again, but... It was one of those games that had such a lead, they could kind of hold us at bay. We got a bit closer, they kicked in the gear and um and beat us comfortably in the end. So we had nine AFL-listed players playing in the VFL this week. Uh, Snelling, Hayes, Lord, Montgomery, Voss, Wanganeen, McBride, Mankara and Kane Baldwin. Uh, the key... Stats coming out of this game, Mark, is Baldwin got a bit of a knock early. Real nasty, like a cut in a contest. Had to come off the ground. And he actually got delayed concussion from that. So he'll actually be missing in action for this week. Uh, played a reasonably good game. Had the 10 disposal, six marks. Was playing on um, Noah Gowan, who was a former 
Essendon listed player. And uh, he, along with Max Heath, who's the big St Kilda ruck forward, both had a had a day out there. Both kicked, I think, four plus goals. So it was uh, was really um, really showed that we needed a lot more support in the midfield there. Obviously, Lewis Hayes was his key defensive partner down back. 13 disposals, four marks, one tackle. I think Hayes and Baldwin, obviously, Hayes in his first year, Baldwin new to the role as a key defender. They both show something, but there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. And I think with our midfield at VFL level, primarily being VFL-listed players, uh, coming up against AFL-listed players, they saw a lot of action in the back line. Yeah, a couple of other names here that I'd be interested to get your views on how they went is uh, I'll give you two here. So, um, Cam McBride, obviously um, the the young Irish boy that's uh, playing, and uh, he's come, recently come off an injury, I believe. And the other one's Anthony Mancara, who's obviously pretty raw, um, came in last year through the draft, and it, there's been kind of very open dialogue from the club that he's a long-term prospect and, and needs a bit for the development. So not expecting you to tell me that these guys turned it on and were BOG, but um, what roles did they play? And what, I guess, where can you see their areas of improvement that we'll be looking out for? Well, McBride kind of gets flicked around a little bit. He had the six touches, four tackles and five hit outs. So he spent some time in the ruck as the kind of second ruckman there. Um, Neither Phillips nor Brian played in the VFL there, but he was more a key position player, kind of. I think they tried to move him where the ball was, but it just, yeah, I think he just had one of those days where no matter how hard he tried, the ball didn't go where he was. And then with Mankara, he only had the the one disposal, the three tackles, obviously didn't have a big impact on the game. Um, I think it's just about him adjusting to playing against men, the increased pace of the game the structures of that. He's quite a tall player, surprisingly tall uh, there. And when he tackles, he tackles strongly. He had a really good contest uh, to get the ball out of bounds uh, there at one stage. But I don't think he will be in for an AFL debut this year there. I think he's a long-term project that we've really got to build up over several years, much like what we did with, with Tipper when he... When he came to the system, he was in their VFL program, wasn't even an AFL-listed player for the three or so years, and then he was a mature age player of that. So by the time he actually got into the AFL, he had, you know, he was a lot developed in his body and he had seen the structures and the systems of play. So, you know, from just from the way the guy moves on the ground, you think, oh, there might be a player there, but I think it's just about him developing. Um, the two players that I thought did play well, or oh, I saw something in, was... Um, Rhett Montgomery and Will Snelling. Snelling starting to get back to some of his best form there. Had the 19 disposals and 10 tackles there. Um, obviously had a really injury-interrupted year last year. And Montgomery um, looks like a what he was advertised, a really good halfback, a senior player. He's clearly played against men before, and he's quite good above his head. Um, yeah, so one for the future, potentially. Um. So is there, is there anyone that played VFL on the weekend that you might suggest is, you know, pushing for a spot or making a claim uh, to potentially get an AFL game? Um, someone who either has played senior football before or hasn't played, maybe a debutante, something like that. Is it, was there anyone out there on the weekend that, that you could mention? 
It's funny. It's funny you ask that, Mark. Yeah, considering I put my uh, Patrick Voss number one uh, <laughs> fan club member hat on, uh, he kicked <laughs> he kicked four again on the weekend from thirteen touches, had the six marks and the six tackles. Uh, was pretty much one out there in the forward line for large stages of the contest. And so I'll just talk you through his last last month of football. And would you tell me, Mark? Would you be interested in bringing in a 20-year-old key forward, 194 centimetres, 95 kilos, who's done this in the past month? Three goals, three, four goals, one, five goals straight, and another four goals, two. Would that, would that interest you? I think considering the history, recent history that we've had of, of players who, I guess, would you know, haven't kicked multiple goals. I think that that's definitely uh, considered banging the door down. So, yeah, I'd give him a go. And uh, I guess we'll maybe talk about that in the next segment, uh, looking ahead to the next game as to what that might look like if he did get a go. And because uh, he's obviously playing, correct me if I'm wrong here, but he's playing full forward essentially for the VFL side. Is that correct? Yeah, he, he's he, out of the goal square, close to goal. He's not getting far up the ground. So I know we'll talk about it later. There's lots of comparisons. Whose spot does he take? Does he take say, Harry Jones spot, they're probably playing different roles there, or as Jones is up to ground, Voss is closer to goal. But, um, yeah, when in the past month you've kicked, what's that, four, eight, you know, 16 goals, uh, I think you're going well enough to get picked. It's And, you know, it's not like we've got Lloyd and Lucas in the forward line keeping him out either. <laughs> <laughs> so the VFL side is eighth on the ladder after two games, one win, one loss, percentage of 126. Next match is against the Northern Bullets on Sunday, five past one at Preston City Oval. So we'll move on to the VFLW. They also played against the Saints, the Southern Saints, and it was the Southern Saints, six goals, 6.42 to Essendon, two goals, 5.17. So unfortunately, sort of pretty well beaten in that game as well. The Saints... Did the trifecta on on us, and uh, I dare say that Saints fans are pretty happy uh, this week after beating up on Essendon all weekend. So, just not really um, the result they wanted. They were in the game, but in first quarter they jumped out of the box and kicked a couple of goals and were up. It was pretty close at half time. Uh, in that third quarter, probably uh, let the Saints start to get back in it. And then the last quarter, the Saints kicked kicked three goals, three goals two there, and, and kicked away uh, from us. So. Uh, disappointing ends, but uh, some good fight through the first half of the game. Um, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, well, first loss for the VFLW side in over a year. So, obviously, Drew last week and now had the loss this week there. So, um, not off to the start we would have liked. But um, just a couple of players there. Caitlin Sargent kicked the two goals there, the only two goals the side kicked um, from six disposals. And then... Just major ball winners were Alana Barber with 24 disposals, eight tackles. Again, really showing she's a top-quality player. Won the best on ground in the uh, grand final performance last year. Uh, Bella Clark, 13 touches. Mia Bush, 12 touches. And then the co-captain, Courtney Eugle, 12 touches are behind and eight tackles himself. Um, yeah, I think it's just about when you come from such a big high, you know, I think it's hard to back up. We're kind of seeing that, uh, especially at VFLW level. We're trying to transition AFLW players who are maybe doing a pre-season in there 
Uh, guys have left, like Freddie Few was the leading goal kicker for the side last year. She's not there at the moment, so that's probably impacting our ability to to kick a big score. Uh, the best player in the in the competition, Georgia Nance Gowan, she's not there this year. So we've taken out two of our best three players out of this side. So, um, yeah, it'll be good to see how the girls adapt uh, going forward. They sit ninth on the ladder after two games. They've had uh, that loss on the weekend and a draw before that. So percentage of 63.8. Uh, next match is against Carlton on Saturday the 8th of April at 1 o'clock down at the hangar. So... Good opportunity there against the uh, the arch rivals in Carlton to, to bounce back. Let's go to another break and then preview the game against the Giants. So for round four, it is Essendon versus the GWS Giants on Sunday, 10 past two at Marvel Stadium. So conditions, not a problem again there. Brendan, we're back at uh, our home deck and hopefully can put in a, a more spirited opening quarter uh, against the Giants and turn the tide back to what it was the first couple of weeks. Yes, let's hope the uh, the Easter Sunday slot does us well there. It'll be uh, interesting to see the crowd there, Mark. Um, GWS don't have too many fans and uh, they probably have even less to travel or uh, based in Melbourne. And the uh, Easter Sunday at 2 o'clock there, I think there'll be a lot of com- Competing priorities going on. I think there's going to be a few people who be thinking, weighing up, go watch the Bombers play or um, have the roast with the uh, with the family there. So it'll be very interesting to see what crowd we can draw. So injuries, not great news this week on the injury front. Matt Guelphy, hamstring, high-grade hamstring, six to eight weeks out. He has had a horrendous run into this year over the preseason and practice games and uh, getting back into the side and then back out again. And now with this injury, um, considering the year that he had last year, top five in the BNF, he's, he's had a horrendous run well. So we hope he's doing okay and hopefully gets that hamstring under control over the next couple of months and then works his way back in. Brendan Zerk Thatcher, after having that pretty heavy ankle roll um, against the Suns, he is a test. Uh, so hopefully we see... Zerk back, I think that that would shore up the back line. Uh, he's become much more valuable very quickly in the back line than I think what most people imagined. Uh, Tipper, in better news with his quad, is a test, so he will train fully apparently this week and hopefully get get uh, his hand up for selection in, in one way or another. And then Ben Hobbs with his ankle. He had a bit of an ankle injury at training, which is a shame because he had a ripping game in the VFL the week prior, so didn't play any footy last week. And he's a test and will get back on the track this week as well to to put his hand up. Yep. So, as I mentioned, Nick Bryan and Kane Baldwin are both out with injuries. Baldwin with a concussion, he missed the week. Um, yeah, like they had a nasty gash in the face too, so a couple of stitches there will need to heal. Um, Bryan, Hammy, two weeks. Just come at an unfortunate time for, for Brian there. I think it's obvious the more and more times we see it that Draper needs a partner. Um, Phillips is obviously in got that spot at the moment, but long-term uh, Nick Bryan potentially is the man there. So hopefully he can get back to full fitness and then the coaching staff can, can back him in for a four to six weeks and just give him, give him an opportunity because I think at the moment it's kind of, he gets in for one game or two games and kind of he's worried about keeping his spot, whereas if, I think it's a case of just give him the confidence, back him in, and, yeah, he might have a rough start, but by the end of it, 
you'll have a you have a good player and a, and a really good combination. Uh, and then to some some longer term injuries there, Mark, which are which are no good. Yeah, so uh, Nick Cox was referenced as being, you know, three to four weeks away, I think, last week. And then on the injury list this week, with kind of little notice, he's ballooned back out to eight. So it sounds like in the little write-up that they had that they want to be conservative with him. And he's not even running yet. So um, they're having these regular scans by the sound of it, which are hopefully showing a, a progression of that. And he's apparently doing a lot of work in the gym to build up his his strength and to help his back. So um, that's not great news because we want to see Nick Cox out there. His counterpart in Zach Reed, that's from the same draft. That's a bit better news on his back. He sounds like he's two to three weeks away. So hopefully that doesn't do the same thing next week in the injury report. It would be good to see in the next month, Zach Reed playing some footy again. Uh, and then Sardis, we know with the knee, he's still 10 weeks away. James Stewart with his foot injury, no time frame on his return. And then Peter Wright, and Jaden David, we know, are, uh, are sort of long-term, potentially the whole season uh, for Peter Wright. Hopefully not. But, um, yeah, they're, they're much further down the track, Jaden Davey, next year. Uh, GWS's injury list, uh, they've got a few. So um, maybe do you want to roll through those, Brendan? Yeah, so um, Lee Kalir, Toby Bedford, Darcy Jones, Nick Madden, Xavier O'Halloran, Harry Perriman, Braden Boos and Jacob Weir. Really, the three we would worry. Well, there's really only one you got to worry about. Perryman. Perryman's a pretty good player. He's missing with a hammy, so that's good for us. Um, really hard running player, strong player, tough player. Uh, Xavier Halloran. He's a test. Um, I don't know if he comes in. He projected a couple of years ago to being a potential really good player. Uh, he was one we considered bringing out. Uh, when we got Corwell there, I think he's a local boy, local Calder Cannons boy as well. So um, maybe even St. Bernard's boy. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, he hasn't kind of lived up to that yet. And then Braden Bruce. Um, Brucey, I think, is your classic ruck tease. I don't think he's that good of a player. I think he's just a big guy that bashes in physically. Um, so it's glad that he's not there uh, from an injury management point of view, considering we've got, you know, Phillips and Brian not in the side. Uh, we wouldn't want an injury to Draper there. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to have he's, – he's not one you'd worry about in terms of performance. I don't think he's going to come out and um, and star. Who will ruck for GWS, do you think? Uh, you've put me on the spot here. Um, Kieran Briggs, I think, is a guy. He was a academy player that they brought in several years ago. I believe he was an All-Australian in the under-18s there. But with, with Ruckman in the under-18s, it's it's um, really your mo- – because who's most physically developed, you know, because I think he was pretty pretty big boy come, come 17, 18. So he was able to manhandle a few down there. Uh, they did have a change at the end of last year. Uh, I think Matt Flynn's still on the list. Um, he's probably at the right age now. I think he's about 25, so I think that's probably where they will go. Um, but yeah, I guess it'd be those two not knowing their um their list that well. Yeah. So do you want to go through the team sheet kind of lineup, or do you want to jump straight into the matchups? Uh, I think we'll jump into the matchups with GWS because um with the, with a lot of their list now, it's kind of 
it's stars and no names, I guess. So <laughs> there's no the point talking large. through the gap is large. No point talking through the no names because it, you know I, to, I I pride myself on knowing you know a lot about a lot of players across a lot of sides, but there's been a big transition at GWS in the past two years, and them being off Broadway, you don't always get to watch all their matches as much as you'd like. Yeah, so maybe let's start from the top with Lockie Whitfield. So everyone sort of knows that Lockie's a good runner, pretty tall player, good hands around the ground as well as uh, good at ground level. Um, I guess like for like is Kyle Langford. So hopefully we don't see Kyle play at half back because it means that he won't play on uh, Lockie Whitfield. So if um, Kyle Langford was at half forward and Lockie Whitfield at half back, two guys playing in their best position, that would be a pretty good head-to-head to watch uh Watch all day. Yeah, if Langford was down back, I think the alternative is going to be Martin or Durham on a wing. Both both can kind of push forward, push back. You think with Whitfield, he's going to be a half back or on a wing midfield. That probably suits Martin a bit better because Martin can then push forward. Whereas I think Durham is kind of more a push back play. But if you he was getting on top Whitfield because his disposal is very good, maybe. Durham's defensive side of his game could be put on there, a bit of a clamp. Durham's really good above his head. So, yeah, we've got a number of options for Whitfield, who is a star of the GWS and the comp. So next player, Stephen Coniglio, the former captain, experienced mid. He's pushed back into the midfield this year, Mark. was stuck at half forward for a bit there, which was never his best position. Uh, Dylan Shield would be the matchup for us, another experienced midfielder. Dylan's really really shone this year with the defensive side of his game, having multiple tackles. I think he was the leading tackler for us on the weekend there with – let me check. No, don't have it yet, but I think he had like seven or eight tackles. So really, really – yeah, eight tackles and uh, Satterfield had seven. That was it. Um, So, yeah, really, really strong defensive side, which was a weakness of his. So if he can apply it, against a former teammate of his, I think that would put us well up front. Their captain, Toby Green, is up next. So top 10 player in the cob, really smart, um, dynamic forward, uh, knows how to find the goals, knows how to – he can be, you know, dangerous in the air, dangerous on the ground, um, very smart player. And when you hear him talk in interviews, he's, he's just a footy nut. Like, he's just a – very simply just loves footy. So – um, Andy McGrath, possible good matchup down there for him, or Jake Kelly, uh, the ball that we brought in to shut down, you know, small to medium forwards. Good job. For I'm him. pretty sure if you remember, Mark, two or so years ago, we played GWS and we played Jordan Ridley, who was in some very good form at the time on Toby, and Toby just torched him. Right, just it's just the wrong matchup for him. And I think that game, I would suggest, not being in the head of our recruiting department, that game was the game when we decided we need to get someone locked down on these small fours. And the result was that we brought in Jake Kelly. So I think that's what I would go. You think McGrath potentially has a bit more zip and pace, but yeah, I'd go Kelly first. Um, then we move on to the two key forwards, Himmelberg and Hogan. I think... Laverde goes to Hogan. Hogan is a bigger, stronger body. He's probably going to play closer to goal, uh, which suits Laverde. Uh, and then uh, Himmelberg gets up the ground. Very good mark. Even pushes into defence at times. I think BZT will get the role on him, being the more mobile, taller, 
player, but I guess Ridley could be the switchover matchup. Say if he's, they played another tall forward or played a third, uh, you know, a second ruckman, maybe Ridley goes to Himmelberg and then BZT takes that that other player. Yeah, so we'll move on to a couple of uh, mids here. So Josh Kelly, uh, big, tall, strong-bodied uh, mid. Uh, he's a real classy player. He's pretty hard at it as well. Zach Merritt will give away some height to Josh Kelly, but uh, nonetheless, that would be a good head-to-head battle as well. Um, both very determined uh, mids, good ball winners, good users by foot, both of them as well. So um, good matchup in that respect. Probably the, the one advantage Kelly's going to have is the height. Um, Merritt probably used to dealing with that anyway through his career. So um, I'm sure that he'll uh, make up for it in other ways and, and play to his advantages. Yep. So two younger midfielders now, Finn Callahan and Tom Green. Um, Callahan's a, a taller player, kind of like in that, Bontempelli mould. So I think, you know, we talked about it before, Archie Perkins, he's probably the guy that we're kind of looking to play as a taller, young, exciting mid. So maybe run the two two young fellas together. And then Tom Green, a really strong inside player, very contested. We've brought Will Settlefield into play, similar type of role. And he's probably, maybe apart from Perkins, the only one physically capable of going head-to-head with Green and really matching him on the inside, and then two defenders, um, Nick Haynes and Sam Taylor. Sam Taylor is an all-Australian key defender, and I would suggest he's probably going to be one of the top three key defenders in the next decade. So he likely goes to Wiedemann. Wiedemann really needs to be on his game, kind of keep Taylor occupied because he is a really good player at sagging off his man and impacting the contest. And then Nick Haynes, who's now quite an experienced player at 30-31, um, I think Stringer is the guy that he goes to just because they're a more natural matchup. Stringer's got to try and keep him close to the goal so he doesn't get up the ground and intercept. But I think that would be an interesting battle, especially if um, Jake can hit the scoreboard early. It might put a few doubts in the coaching staff at GWS. So we'll move to one of my favourite areas of the pod here where we talk about potential changes and ideas for who would come in and out. Uh, so we already mentioned Patrick Voss um, and the form that he's in in BFL at the moment. So he's definitely getting discussed, I'm sure, uh, amongst the, the coaches. Um, I guess it's it's more of a balance and match-up thing as to who he replaces. So we're obviously pretty light on with forwards at the moment and that's showing and we're struggling a little bit uh, with key forwards and taking marks down there and whatnot. So um, Harry Jones is one that we've got listed here. I guess it's really between, if Voss is going to come in, it's at the cost of either Jones, Wiedemann or Stringer, really, isn't it? And they all play different roles. Voss is playing full forward at VFL level. Jones is not playing full forward at AFL level. So the the logical one form-wise is Jones, because I don't think he's been in great form the last couple of weeks. Um, But, does that upset the balance too much and not give Voss the proper opportunity? You know, we talk about playing players in the right position so that they can still perform when they come in. And uh, I think you used the the analogy or the example of, I think, Nick Bryan last, last week um, in years gone by. So if Voss is to come in, do you think we can do it by taking Jones out or do you think we've just got to wait this out a bit longer or... 
I think if jo- if Voss came in, James would be the guy that goes out, and I think we move stuff around to make it work. I think Stringer's in the side. I don't see him coming out. Um, too good a player, really. Um, Wiedemann is playing as is essentially the the man now. He's the number one key forward. Is also chopping out Draper in the ruck there. So if you brought in a second ruckman, maybe that would change. Maybe you'd say Voss plays most similarly to Wiedemann. And then you would I'd probably back Wiedemann as a senior player. Um also we really need Wiedemann to kind of do what Wright did, develop, become the man, feel confidence in his in his game. So I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to drop him. Um I don't think the change will happen. I think Scott will back Jones in. I think the role that he's playing as that hit up forward is important for us, but we're just not getting enough out of him. And like I said, it's been sub twice this year in two games. I think there is a an injury concern with his ankle and maybe he needs to go back and just get fitness, play at a lower level with less intensity and just get match fit. Yeah, and I think if, if Jones stays in, uh, he needs to fire up because there's a difference between being the hit up forward that leads up the ground and gets a bit of ball up the ground and being the decoy. You don't want to be the decoy. So I think he needs to to fire up and get a bit more involved, um, you know, crash some packs and things like that. Not you know, He does do it in patches, so he's capable. Um, but, yeah, if he's given another week, I think he needs to realise that he's on the verge of falling out of the side and, and uh, use that to motivate himself. We'll move on to um, Andrew Phillips didn't play at either level and there was kind of no commentary as to why that was. And, um be good to get him back in the side. As you said, um, Draper sort of probably, it's been shown now that he plays better when he's got the assistance of another Ruckman. He gets the best out of himself. We've listed here, if Phillips is fit and comes back into the side, we've listed here Jai Menzi as the out. They're the complete opposite players, obviously completely different size players, play different roles. Um, I guess reasoning for that, would be that we need support for Draper. We don't have another ruckman who's come in and not perform to take out. You know, Wiedemann's probably chopping out the ruck and we can't take him out because he's doing a roll up forward. Um, we do have some small forwards down there in, you know, Alwyn Davy Jr. And, and the like. So there's, and you know, resting people down there, midfielders that are meant to be resting down there, such as Perkins and Caldwell. So uh, I guess that's why we've put listed Menzies' name, isn't it? That he may be... Maybe form wasn't as good on the weekend. Spelling the BFL might do someone like that some good to get some touch again and then come immediately back in. Yeah, I think it's also, I think, I don't see Phillips and Voss playing in the same side, especially when you've got Wiedemann. And so maybe, maybe Phillips instead of Voss in, Jones out. So maybe it's that. Look, not life for life. It's one of those ones in, you got to get, a spot in the side, and yeah, Menzi had a had a okay game. He wasn't the lone ranger in terms of didn't get a lot of touches, didn't have a lot of impact there. But he's only a young player there, so look, I don't think this will actually happen. There's question marks if he's actually fit. Phillips, there's whispers and scuttlebutt that he actually missed as a result of of injury, as opposed to being dropped for the Wiedemann inclusion. So who actually knows what's going on there? But yeah, just just. Food for thought there. And again, another one we'll talk about here is Ben Hobbs there. 
Um, obviously missed on the weekend with the ankle. Is he fit? If he does come in, who's he come in for? You could argue he could come in for Menzies, play that kind of defensive forward. Guelphie's not in the side there, so it's essentially Menzies come in and playing because Guelphie's not there, so Hobbs coming in playing a similar role. You could kind of massage that argument if you'd like. The obvious elephant in the room is that Hobbs would come in for Dyson Heppel. Haven't talked about Dyson in this episode, and I think it's <laughs> maybe subconsciously we've <laughs> done that, way, but um, I would back Dyson in. We were obviously very strong last week, Mark. Um, we would like to keep Heppel in the side. I think Brad Scott's history at North Melbourne is that he keeps senior players in the in the side. Um, the, but the facts are Heppel had a, had a poor game. His disposal was poor. He missed several important targets and turned it over and that he did it early too when the run was against us. So it was kind of like it, it felt worse than just a normal turnover because, you know, if we were up and he turned it over, it's like, oh, well, these things happen, right? But because the run was against us, it was like, oh, geez, just another thing going wrong. But um, I would keep him in the side. I think he's got enough credits in the bank that it keeps his spot in. he's backed in to turn it around. But um, if he keeps performing at a subpar level and you've got Hobbs playing really strongly in the VFL like he did uh, the week before, um, yeah, it's going to come a time where a call is going to have to be made. Yeah, there's probably not much more to add to that. Um, I think it's probably well said and be watching keenly to see how he goes this week regardless of where he plays, I guess. But uh, hopefully that's in the in the senior side and he bounces back to some form. Uh, last one here is Zerk Thatcher, hopefully ready to come back in. Uh, I think at the time he went out, Massimo was maybe the guy that came in and, and hasn't played too badly in the last couple of weeks. He's been pretty solid um, there. So uh, I think that would be a logical one. Um, BZT, pretty key to our spine now as a, as, a, um, as a team. Yeah, and kind of like Phillips and Menzi, not, not a like-for-like thing there, but I think BZT is almost first pick key defender at the moment. Um, yeah, Massimo came in. You're not dropping Kelly after his week and the Toby Green matchup. You're not dropping Ridley after last week and the matchup. We wouldn't drop Laverde, even though I think Lav's probably had a tough start to the year. Certainly hasn't been as good as what he's been in previous years there, but I still think he's at worst, the number two, probably maybe this number one. And definitely with the Jesse Hogan matchup there, he is still the only one that is physically capable of engaging um, Hogan, who does like to get into a wrestle a little bit there. Um, I guess with Baldwin's concussion and Reed and Cox's injury and Lewis Hayes being an 18-year-old kind of skinny twig, uh, don't have much depth in key position there. So I don't see as ever dropping a key defender. I think it's about um, bringing them in as, as, as much as we can. I think that's it for our preview, Brendan. So um, as you said, playing Easter Sunday, that means happy Easter to everyone. Hopefully everyone has a uh, relaxing and safe weekend and, and a few days off, which is uh, always good. What else have we got? Oh, well, just that, um, yeah, 
the Good Friday appeal here in Melbourne's a, a really big thing there. If you know, tough times for a, a lot of people out there, and so um, just look thinking of you know those at at home are doing a tough time, or those that you have to work, you can't you can't take a day off over Easter. But you know, um, with the with the appeal on, if 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 you can give, I think it's a um, really important uh, part of Victorian life. Really, the the Good Friday appeal. Uh, and I guess I wouldn't think there, Mark, there'd be too many people who haven't at some stage of their journey either been in the children's hospital as a child themselves or, or has had a child that's been in the hospital or knows of someone who has a family member or a mate who has had their kid in hospital and, you know, what a terrifying experience it would be to have a child that sick that they need to go to the hospital and then... Um, they do fantastic work there, so any any way we can support the Royal Children's Hospital uh, is is really important. Yeah, that's well said. Probably um, a good way to end the pod on a nice positive note there, and and um, yeah, pumping up the good work that that everyone in that sector does. So with that, I hope everyone has a good weekend. Stay safe and uh, enjoys, and go the Dons, go Bombers.